Mm. Oh! Excuse me. Hey, Fountain Springs, it's your friend Joel here. Listen, we had an amazing time at the Civic Center last weekend. We had three amazing services, and now all of the craziness has subsided. So do you know what that means? It means Easter candy is on clearance, guys. It's so, so good. Oh, yeah, listen, I need to let you guys know about one more amazing thing that happens immediately after Easter. In addition to being able to purchase a 50-pound bag of Sweet Tarts for $3.99, you can be a part of our brand-new series, Freeway. We all chase after freedom in our lives Here's how to do it the right way. In addition to Pastor David sharing every weekend about freedom, there is a sweet as chocolate workbook that goes along with this series. You can purchase those out in the lobby after service for $10. So grab a book, grab some friends, and start digging into what it means to be free. Check out this video to see what I mean. Life doesn't always play nice. The job fizzles, the kids are bouncing off the walls, the cat dies. You start thinking to yourself, hey God, this isn't what I signed up for. Freeway is a small group study that helps us share our not so perfect stories. And whether our struggles could fill up the entire Pacific Ocean or just a tiny teacup, it's time to find hope in tough times. Freeway takes us through six life-changing steps. Step one, we'll learn how to escape the rat race and hear God's voice. Step two, we'll confront that 800-pound bully called fear and his ugly twin brother called insecurity. In step three, we'll stop being people pleasers and take ownership of our life. In step four, we'll earn a PhD in the art and science of forgiving people, including ourselves. In step five, we'll learn how God wants to throw a party for one of his favorite people in the universe. Hint, that person's name starts with Y and ends with O-U. And finally, step six, you'll discover your purpose and how you're rescued to become a rescuer. So what do you need to do Freeway? First, you'll need the amazing Freeway workbook. Secondly, you'll need a group, two, four, or 10 people. Size doesn't matter. Together, you'll share, laugh, and discover that our not-so-perfect stories are a lot alike. So you might be wondering, do I have to be a Bible Einstein to lead a freeway group? Heck no. You just have to organize some group details, ask a few questions, and boom, you're ready to rock it. From New York to L.A., from Sydney, Australia to London, England. Tens of thousands of people just like you have gone through Freeway, and now it's your turn. Freeway, a not-so-perfect guide to freedom. For more info, videos, and insightful tips, make sure to check out secondchance.org. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Good. I Some of you are good. It's good. Some of you are trying out Saturday Church for the first time. Some of you don't know why you're here, and someone drug you here, and you're mad at them. It's okay. We love you. Uh, I, I want to welcome everybody here, and, and some of you are, are brand new to the church, so we do this every time. I want everybody to understand this. To the fellas at RCMU, our prison campus, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We are so excited about what's going on, what's going on there. There's people clapping. Go ahead. Clap, clap. <laughs> fellas, we're excited about what's going on where you're at, and and we're a whole, everyone's doing this series together, which will be fun. So there in the prison, there's groups, freeway groups for you to be a part of. Here, there's 
groups for you to be a part of, so just listen to the whole series. Uh, if you're brand new, though, here's what I'm about to do. I am your flight attendant for the rest of this journey. Some of you just need to have that mental picture for a second. You're like, wait. No, I, I want to talk to you out of the Bible. Uh, I want to share a story with you. If you want to look it up, it's in Matthew chapter 8. You can go there on your tablet, phone, wherever. I want you to go to Matthew 8 if you can. I'm going to tell you a Bible story. That's how this works. And I want to unfold the story and help you and I understand the, why that's even in the Bible. It's a short story, by the way, so be okay with that. But I want to tell you how you and I can be free. In fact, that's what this whole series is about, is how you and I can get free. And so if you're ready, let's walk through this. And it starts off with something that happened in our family a couple weeks ago, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this. In fact, I think my wife feels more embarrassed, but she did give me permission to share this with you. So we were downstairs. Uh, downstairs is where our TV is, and, and we have a sectional. Our sectional is, is like one of the ones nowadays where it's all in different pieces, not, not the one piece thing. It's all separate pieces. So we were down there, and why I told you that will make sense here in a second, is we were going to watch something on the Apple TV. Now, I asked my son, will you go find the remote? Now, this is a regular conversation in our family. Let's go hunt for the remote. I know some of you are like, why don't you put the remote in the same place? Well, we have a two-year-old. We do put things in the same place. Uh, and so we began to hunt for the remote. We couldn't find the remote. And my son got the duty. I said, hey, look through the couch. If you own a couch, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because that's an adventure. That's a chore. Look through the couch. Not physically, but there's cracks and crevices and places. Uh, well, we were all looking, all looking, hunting for this remote. All of a sudden, my 11-year-old boy says, I found the remote, and, and I looked over at him, and he was looking straight down inside the sectional. And it was this crevice. Some of you might call it the Grand Canyon or the place of no return or where you've lost everything that you can think of and you can't find it, but you know it's down there, but you just don't want to go down there and find other things. You're looking at me like you don't have this problem. A couch or a chair in your house is the one place that you don't want anybody looking underneath. It's a place that you're like, please don't ever. Like some of you, when you clean your house or have somebody come over, you clean that for the first time in about a month and you discover lots of things. So my son found the remote and it involved, he said, hey, we got to separate the sectional. So we did. We took the piece off, scooted it over. And I think everyone that had gathered around had this, <gasps> because it wasn't just the remote down there. We found our third child down there. <laughs> I'm kidding. We knew where he was. But I am embarrassed to tell you, I didn't take a picture because you just, you, I wouldn't show it to you anyways. But down there, where you know down there would have been, there were pencils and pens. You're like, okay, that's fine. But there was also cereal. I have no idea why there was cereal down there. There were, let's just say, I can't tell you who's guilty about this, Sour gummy worms were down in there. Still, still trying to figure out who put those down there. There was a waffle. In fact, I'll tell you, I'm going to own this. I'm going to own this. See, some of you won't be this honest, but I, I'm going to own this. We separated. Look at this stuff. And it literally took a little bit of time for any one of us to be willing to clean it up. Because it was like, that's so just wrong. That's disgusting. And so we just kind of finished watching our show, and 
we scooted it. And, and I'll also tell you, we have not scooted it back. And we just thought, oh, that looks good. That's nice. Let's keep it that way. And now we know what's going to be there. And, uh, it's, it's interesting, the messes that you and I are willing to clean up and the ones that will delay a little bit. Uh, and, and it depends if someone's coming over, who's going to see it, or how's that going to play out. Well, the same is for your life, my life too, is you and I have messes in our life, and there are certain messes that, that you jump at cleaning up. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. I'm going to fix this today. But there are other messes that have been in your life, been in your heart for quite some time, and you haven't dealt with it. You haven't done anything with it. Uh, you might be afraid to do it or, or concerned with how to do it well. You might be saying, I, David, I don't even know how to deal with this pain that's been in my life, this problem, this mess, this stuff. And, and so there are many of us right now. In fact, I think most of us would say every one of us has a mess in our life that we're not giving it the attention that we should. And it's not until you lose something or something goes wrong that you say, okay, I got to deal with this. I have to now. I've separated the couch. So, so here's what I want you to consider as we go through this series. Is are you willing to be free? Now, I'm not asking you, are, are you willing to deal with your mess? Because most of us are like, not yet. No, no, I don't, no, no. I'm talking about freedom from whatever it is. Freedom from it consuming you. Freedom from it being in your thoughts nonstop. Some of your self-esteem is determined by the mess in your life. Some of your worry and concern and anxiety is affected by the mess that you have in your life. And so for the next five to six weeks, we're going to walk through what it looks like and, and actually how to do this. To do that, I want to start off with a story, like I told you from the Bible, from Matthew chapter 8. This story is a very short one. It's about a guy who brought his mess to Jesus. So let me read this to you. This is Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, now stop for a second. Now, now where was he coming from? I'll tell you. He had just preached what some of you church grower uppers in, that doesn't make sense. So those of you who grew up in the church, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, the sermon, like the best sermon ever preached, the one that takes up a few chapters in your Bible, Jesus just preached the sermon. He's coming down from the mountainside. Uh, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, I want to illustrate something. I want you, everyone to understand this. It just talks about a guy with leprosy. We're in modern day North America. We don't often encounter leprosy. And so if you don't know, I want you to understand what leprosy is because it's pretty intense. In fact, I, here's where a couple of scholars, I just want to read this to you. Here's how they would define leprosy. Leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some part of the body. Uh, the nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract, contract until the hands are left like claws. There follows ulceration of the hands and feet. Then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until at the very end, the whole hand or whole foot might drop off. The duration of, what, of this kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. So from the moment you get this leprosy, you're going to have it for 20 to 30 years. It is a kind of terrible progressive death in which a man, as this guy describes it, dies by the inches. It was a horrible disease. And in fact, 
there were rules written about people with leprosy. There, there were specific rules that you had to watch out how you interacted with somebody with leprosy because that person was very contagious. In fact, here's some of the rules. Here's some of the rules. If a person had leprosy, that person with leprosy could not come into contact any closer than anybody else within six feet. There's a rule, the six-foot rule. It's what some of you are teaching your teenagers as they date. Stay without six feet. You can't touch anybody, right? Some of you are like, yeah, amen. Thank you very much for saying that. So these lepers couldn't come within six feet of anybody. Anybody. Now some are like, oh, that sounds bad. Well, it sounds worse when you start to include that meant their spouse. That meant their children. That meant their friends. That meant all the hugs gone. No more shaking hands. No pats on the back. Six feet. Now here's what makes it even worse. If the wind was blowing towards other people, the leper had to stay 150 feet away from anybody. It was not just a physical problem that would have occurred. You can see the psychological damage that would occur to someone who had leprosy. In fact, this carried through time. Watch this. In the Middle Ages, if a man became a leper, the priest would bring the man into the church and read the burial service over him because for all human purposes, the man was dead. As soon as you found out you had leprosy in the Middle Ages, you got brought to the church and they basically did your funeral for you before you were dead. That's how intense this was. And some of you know this, but when a leper would walk into a community, would walk down the street, would maybe want to go to the store or do something like that, that leper had to walk through. And if anybody was around, if that leper could see anybody, the leper had to scream, unclean! Again, the psychological damage being enormous. So when you read in your Bible that a leper came and fell to his knees in front of Jesus, I hope that you get a hold of how significant that was. Because socially, he's breaking rules. Legally, we don't know how close he got, but it was close. He may have broken some legal laws. So when the Bible says, and we often just read the Bible, we don't pay attention. It says, when the leper came, fell on his knees in front of Jesus and said, if you're willing, that was a huge moment because you and I could read the rest of the story. Some of you probably already have on your phone. But at the moment, you got to understand what this man would have known. He would not have known friends. He would not have known family. And in fact, he had no encouragement. He had no affirmation. He hadn't received a Facebook invite to the, to the moment that Jesus would arrive and do healings. He had just heard about Jesus. He didn't know if Jesus would heal him, give him a second of his time. If you don't, if, there was no letter that went to him and said, hey, Jesus would like to kindly invite you to a moment in which you will be healed. He didn't get anything like that. He didn't have any substantive moment that would say, this is a guarantee. But he, you see how powerful it is the moment he risked that this leper who's not supposed to be within six feet of anybody, most likely 150 feet from anybody, goes in front of Jesus, drops to his knees and says, if you're willing, you can heal me. It's a powerful moment. It's faith. I think it's the faith that you and I would want, right? I mean, I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of faith that I'm willing to risk anything and everything in my life to say, God, I think you can do something. In fact, I know you can. Uh, that's cool faith. And this leper shows us a little bit about sin. 
Now, don't, don't take this too far. I'm not saying that everyone who had leprosy was, be, it was because of their sin. In fact, I would disagree with that. I don't think leprosy was connected to how good or bad of a person they were. But it does reveal to you a, a picture of what sin does. Sin does the same thing that leprosy does. Is you let it, it gets into your soul. And day by day by day, as long as you let that sin just sit in your soul and you do nothing about it, erodes you. And you die this slow death. Bible talks about sin leads to death. And this leper, he knew he could approach Jesus. Isn't that cool about Jesus? I mean, this leper, again, there was no social media. There was no internet. There was no massive pronunciation going, hey, I declare the healer is here. That He just, he approached Jesus. He, Jesus had proven himself approachable. Again, I want to be that kind of a person. That if someone has a mess, a problem, a concern, something really that they're just wrestling with, I want them to think, hey, I can can go talk to David. He's safe. So let me pause the sermon. Are you that kind of a person? Now, I know many of us are waiting. We've got to get to this free part. David, I want to be free. How about those of us who really aren't wrestling through a whole lot? Do you want to be that kind of approachable person? Or are you so busy and consumed with your life that people just don't talk to you? Oftentimes we complain that no one will talk to us. No one will come to us. No one will unload their problems. They won't talk to us and let us get into their lives. Oftentimes we've not made ourselves approachable. What's so cool and we miss this in the story is that this guy, before he ever met Jesus, knew he was approachable. I love that about Jesus. I want to be like that. And this guy's problem, this guy's problem was on his skin. Everyone knew he had this problem. But what about the problems that you and I have that aren't on our skin or visible to other people? The, the problems that are, that are in our hearts, the ones that we're a bit more secret about. And I would say that we don't like to get honest about what's going on in our hearts. That's why some of you are like, oh no, freeway series. How do I get out of here? Because you're smart enough to understand that freeway is all about what's going on in your heart. We're not talking about physical ailments or handicaps. We're not talking about really anything physical. We're talking about your heart. And I've got to tell you, most of us have a mess in our heart of some proportion, some small, some big. And you've got to deal with your heart. Your heart will lie to you. That's why some of you are like, I don't have any problems, David. I'm perfect. I have no idea what you're doing here if that's the case. Uh, watch this. This is a study recently done by a guy at Harvard. People at Harvard, we just assume, are smart. Dr. Dan Gilbert. Research tells us people are typically unaware of the reasons why they're doing what they're doing. I thought there might be an amen. Research tells us that people are typically unaware of the reasons why they're, why they're doing what they're doing, but when asked for a reason, they readily supply one. They readily supply one. If you miss what that's saying is oftentimes we live life based on our hearts, but we don't actually know why we're doing what we're doing. It's why many of us have said multiple times, I don't know why I'm doing this. I guess I've always done it this way. Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And a good question, who really knows how bad it is? We just know it's bad. Our hearts are often lie about reality. 
I mean, let me, let me help you understand reality, is you got something you need to deal with in order to be free. Here's another, the same smart guy from Harvard, Dr. Dan Gilbert. So what's so curious about human beings is that we can look deeply into the future, foresee disaster, and still do nothing in the present to stop it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I will just raise it on behalf of all of us. (laughs) If I were to ask you, have you ever done something that you knew you shouldn't do, you knew the outcome of it, but you still did it anyways because you followed your heart. I don't mean to wreck your hopes and dreams. I actually don't. I promise you that. Yes, you do. No, I don't. But if you have ever been told to follow your heart, I don't think it was malicious, but you were given very poor advice. Because the Bible tells us that your heart is deceitful. Research tells us that your heart is deceitful. And many of the messes in our life are because of where our heart led us. And so, if you're open to it, I want to give you a prayer for this series. Where where you'll be open up, maybe saying, David, I want to be free. I want to deal with the stuff that I need to deal with. Well, I'm glad you asked. I've got a prayer for you. This is in Psalm 139. I didn't make this up. It's too good. Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24. Just, this is a good prayer. Mark this. Repeat this through the whole series. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. You're like, Really? Like, ask God to do that if you want to be free. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let me help you begin to discover what might be your mess. What are you too attached to? There's things in your life, things in my life, that we often attach ourselves to that don't have the value that we attach it. Some of you are consumed with with having a certain look having a certain uh, number in your bank account, having a certain job, having a certain amount of kids, and you've attached yourself to something that you say, this is good, this is valuable, this is what my heart tells me is critical. And I would tell you, one of the greatest steps towards freedom is to listen to what the Bible has to say about what's important. So let me, let me continue the story. Let me show you Jesus' reaction to the mess. Matthew 8, verse 2. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Stop for a second. Hopefully you've listened to most of the message. Hopefully you see how significant that was. That Jesus touched the man. The Son of God Uh, He knew what was going on. Everyone around him knew what was going on. And in fact, if you don't know a little bit more about culture of leprosy, do you know what typically people would do to lepers? Is they would, for our lack of words, bully them. If they saw a leper for fun, people would pick up rocks and throw them at lepers to keep them away like dogs. And in fact, lepers would often die because they had been stoned to death and the only reason they got stoned to death is because people around them were just in the mood to stone somebody. This guy finds Jesus. I don't know how he found him. 
falls on his knees, gets in front of him and says, are you willing? And some of the most significant, powerful words that Jesus ever spoke got spoken. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Watch this. I am willing. Some of you, the reason you're here tonight, the reason you're here listening to this is because God wanted you to hear that. Three simple words. I am willing. I don't know what your exposure has been to church before. And I'm asking for some permission that you would put down if you've got negative experiences of church and God. I want you to hear what Jesus did. This is historically proven. A guy with leprosy, a social outcast, a diseased, dying man falls on his knees in front of Jesus and says, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus' response is to touch him and say, I am willing. Some of my favorite words that Jesus has ever spoken. I am willing. Our mission as a church is to show people who Jesus is. And if you're wondering, well, what does that mean? This is one of the things. I am willing. For, unfortunately, for, for decades, centuries, a long time, the church hasn't modeled a willingness to get involved in the mess of people. If you miss anything or grab a hold of something, grab a hold of something as powerful and as significant as these four verses in the Bible that include Jesus, the Son of God, saying, I am willing. You've got a mess. You've got stuff. I get to tell you, Jesus is willing to do something about your mess. He's willing. And your mess may not require the miracle that this leper got. The story continues, last verse. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Can you imagine what that looked like and felt like? Going, I have five fingers now. I can go anywhere I want to go now. I wonder. I don't know this. I can't prove this. I wonder if he thought I can go hug my wife now. I can go hold my kids now. I don't know. But right now, some of you are not doing what God's intended you to do and being involved in the relationships that God has given you because you're not free. Jesus has said he's willing to help you get free. If you keep reading, verse four, but then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. I mean, initially be like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, don't tell like anybody or like my best friends or how's that work? Like, tell one person, 10, how's that? Don't tell anyone, huh? Then Jesus said to him, don't, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Some of you have read the story before and you're like, I never got that. Why did Jesus say, shh, don't tell anybody? It's profound if you, if you understand this. See, what he was telling him is, is if Jesus had Instagrammed the moment 
and said, hey, go tell everybody what I just did. It wouldn't have been owned by society because they hadn't owned Jesus as the Savior. The re- what he did is he said, go to the temple, and there was a proper ceremony that if you had been cured by cured of leprosy, you would go to the temple, there was a certain sacrifice, certain ceremony, and they would deem you clean, and then you could re-enter society. And Jesus knew this. So he said, hey, 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 don't, don't go tell anybody. Just go to the temple, and they'll see that you're healed, and they'll let you have freedom. So it's time to change. It's time that you and I change. Whatever your mess is, or messes, whatever's in your life that you've got to let go of, some of you it's bitterness, anger, some of it's how you've been living and you have let yourself just get so in bondage to stuff, it's time to get changed. Now some of you are like, David, I'm not ready. (laughs) Like this is a big deal. Well, I thought about you. (laughs) And so I want to tell you something. I want to miss this. Your willingness is more important than your readiness. See, someone was like, I can't go to church, I'm not ready. Me either. I remember when I went to college. I graduated from high school, just to clear things up. And I was supposed to go to college. I wanted to be a pastor. Pastors have to go to college. Now, what you may not know about is I was a horrible student. And in fact, I wasn't ready for college. I finally got accepted to a college and they put me on academic probation before I even arrived. I'm not joking, I'm serious. I arrived on academic probation. They gave me a special curfew. Said, oh, you're one of them. I wasn't ready for college. I was willing to go to college. And you're like, oh, I bet you learned your lesson in college. Nope. See, most pastors have a tendency to end up at seminary, getting their under or their graduate work done. I applied. I think they laughed when they got my application. I started my graduate work on academic probation. I wasn't ready to try to get a master's degree, but I was willing. It came time to get married. You can ask Katie. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I didn't know the whole thing about you got to pick your clothes up and put them away somewhere. I had never heard that. Well, my mom had taught me, but I had just neglected to own that. My first couple uh, first 12 years of marriage, which we've been married for 12, um, I wasn't ready. Our first kid? <laughs> uh, oh. See, see, I talk to young couples and like, we're going to have children when we're ready. So I'm like, oh, so you're never having children. Oh, okay. That's everyone's choice. I remember being in a hospital with our firstborn son. And the nurse came in and said what I was dreading. You guys can go home. I don't want to go home. Like there's people that come in and help and we don't, it's just the two of, what? I wasn't ready to have a kid or a second kid or a third kid. 
One day God said, I want you to be a senior pastor. <laughs> oh, I laughed and then cried. I'm still not ready to lead a church, but I'm willing. And what I know about life is this, is it's not about readiness. It's about willingness. And every significant thing in my life was not preceded by a moment that I finally said, I'm ready. It was preceded with, I'm willing to try this. I'm willing to do this. That's why I tell you, your willingness is more important than your readiness. And the way to freedom is to stop saying, I can't. And start telling God, I'm willing. Are you willing? Whatever it is in your life, if you and God separated the cushions of life and he were to say, I want you to deal with that. I'm not asking you if you're ready. And frankly, he's not. Are you willing to deal with it? The bitterness, the anger, the rejection, the sin, the stuff. Are you willing to deal with it? What is going to be your next step to becoming free? Well, here's, I want to help you. Can I help you? Yes, you can, David. Good. I want to help you. I want to give you steps. Everyone in this room, everyone listening has a next step. So let me help you walk this out. One of your next steps or your only next step could be to join a freeway group. Like, but I don't like other people. I didn't ask if you liked other people. I didn't ask if you're ready to be in a group. I'm asking if you're willing to be free from whatever's in your life. You want to have freedom, to walk in freedom, where when you wake up and you go to sleep and all the time in the middle that you spend your day not consumed with what other people think about you, what they're going to say about you, are you going to, anxiety, stress, worry, all that, where you get to live free. If you want to live free, perhaps your next step is to say, I don't want to do this. I'm not ready to do this, but I'm willing to do this. I'm going to be a part of a freeway group, and I'm going to go through that stinking workbook. That's some of your next step. Some of you, your next step is baptism. When's baptism, David? I'm glad you asked. May 16th and 17th. Write it down, text it to yourself, do something, just mark it. At the end of this series, we're going to have a baptism weekend where whoever wants to get baptized, that's it. Some of you who committed your life to Jesus on Easter weekend or even in the previous weekends and you've never been baptized and we always have baptism when you happen to be at Aunt Joe's house and it's time now, I'm asking, I'm telling you right now, it's coming up, May 16th and 17th, your next step is baptism. But most importantly, some of you, perhaps your next step is to give your life to Jesus, is to become a Christian, is to literally turn control over to the one who said, I am willing. I'm going to read something to you. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't know you well enough to know if there's folks in here 
who have never prayed that and declared that to God. I don't know. But before we sing another song and move on, I want all of us to engage that kind of a verse. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, as we usually do, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to talk with God for just a few moments where you press in and you say, God, what are you telling me right now? Go ahead, just silently talk to him and ask him what he wants you to hear. Heavenly Father, I believe that your spirit is pressing in on several of us. And I believe with all my heart, because I've seen you work, I've seen you do stuff in my life, I'm confident that you're pressing in on some people who have never turned their life over to you. They've never declared that they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They've never asked for forgiveness and own that forgiveness. So God, in your perfect way, soften hearts and remind them and encourage them with the words, I am willing. With your heads bowed, if you've never prayed a prayer to God saying you believe in Jesus and you own the forgiveness of sins, let me help you. You can just pray this quietly to God. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I have not been who you wanted me to be. And so, God, I quit trying to do life on my own. I own the forgiveness you offer me. I walk today now forgiven by you. I declare that I believe that Jesus died for me and that he rose back to life for me. And I'm ready to be free. In fact, I claim freedom now. I'm a follower of, of yours. I will live my life for you. I love you. God, speak to all of us in your perfect way. We speak all this and, and pray all this to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.